It's another episode of The Dice Are Screaming. Oh. Yeah, that's right. It's Friday. Hope your <coughs> week was great. Fun getting started on the Christmas season, full bore. Oh, yes. Uh, December is almost upon us. Yes, it is. Oh. And, of course, we've had Christmas music for what? Like, you know, like the minute after Thanksgiving was over, so I've already been putting up with that for about a week. Yeah, but you won't find any Christmas music here, nor talk of bards. Because, oh. although, hearten yourself, because we are going to talk about something very close to Bards. Oh, really? Yes. Well, we're going to talk tonight about, well, wait, we got something to do before that happens, so, yeah, yank you back on that one. We've got some shout-outs to do, first of all, to all of our podcast family, uh, from Stately Gothridge Manor, Tim <laughs> Shorts. Yes. And C. Thorin, playing it wrong. As well as Eric Tenkar. Uh, oh, of Tenkar's Tavern fan. Oh, yes. He's been doing it, and he got us a nice little link up, finally. Um, yeah, so check him out. And Glenn, the original Grognard. Yes, Glenn, Glenn, older than everybody else combined in the room, times ten, plus one. <laughs> Glenn Halstrom, we love you. Thank you for Radio Grognard. And uh, Colm Green of Spike Pit. Oh, yes, spiky pit. Love you guys, and love all that you're doing, and also to Larry Hamilton, follow me and die. Again, if you're not listening to him, you should. And also to some of our Twitter family, uh, the Twitterverse, um, Wheel and Woe Mm. podcast, doing the Pathfinder 2nd Edition Playtest podcast, and keeping up with those, and they've been keeping up with us, so had some very kind words from the author of them, so... I mean to catch up on that myself, because I'm very curious about the uh, incoming uh, beta editions of 2nd Edition Pathfinder. It's a momentous time. I mean, they've been doing one thing really, really well, to to say it where it deserves to be said. Yep. One thing, and they did it expertly, and they've done it for like a decade. So, you know, I mean, maybe it's time, but uh, I'm I'm fascinated to, to hear it in use. Yep, uh, we have a lot of the materials, but we just haven't had time to play it because we've been enjoying our normal Pathfinder games on Saturdays. Mike runs his uh, AD&D first edition game on Sundays, and I run another Pathfinder game on Mondays, so we're quite busy. But also, keeping up with this podcast for you folks, we appreciate all the likes, shares, and most of all, the criticisms and commentaries, so please... Keep those coming. Yeah, we are open to both. Uh, you know, it, it does not wound our spirits to, to hear some honest criticism. We, we received some excellent uh, points in the past that I, I think were well worth including and I'm still working on because every so often I will slip off the, tr- I'll slip off the rails. No, nope. uh, there it goes. And <laughs> flinging that kimono open as he does. So. Yeah, <laughs> kimono flapping in the breeze. I will go off the rails and uh, get out there without... Uh, explanation of like some esoteric comment or really hard to reference uh, tidbit. It happens, I but I, I am working on it, so I, I have not forgotten. And that was good pointed criticism because I can really get in my own zone and forget that, uh, you know, I mean, we're rolling around with uh, 40 years of uh, frame of reference, mm-hmm. and some of that uh, dates back a ways. More oh, of- yeah. Farther back than I am entirely comfortable confessing. But uh, after our little public service announcements, 
are over with. We can get back to the topics. What was that topic? Yes, it was something close to Bardic. But here it comes. It's about elves. Right. Okay. We talked about dwarves. Well, we got to talk about elves. Could it be elven bards? Sure can. Oh, okay. But it's in the greater service of the concept of elves. Yep, okay. and so here we go. As we start off, any commentary we have always goes back to the source and the source of the original editions, which we refer to as nominally the first edition of the game, the eight Advanced Dungeons and Dragons AD&D first edition. But we're also referencing the original edition as well because it wasn't that far away. Oh, yeah, the, the, <laughs> the little white splat books. Or uh, box set. In the- yeah. Little brown books, the LBBs. Those, right from the get-go, the elf was a core concept. Uh, It clearly had a strong desirability because so many people were enamored of Tolkien at that time, having, you know, just recently read Lord of the Rings. Uh, That was a big thing. People really wanted, you know, can I be an elf? Want to be Legolas? Uh, And... Lo and behold, uh, their will was made law. Yep, and elves were, have been with the game since it first started. But, um, of course, J.R.R. Tolkien is the big name in the field that bring that brung elves to the table. So, what is it about elves that is mysterious? Well, Tolkien borrowed very heavily from Celtic and Nordic myth, as well as uh, other parts of the Northern European myths of elves as beings of light, Magnificent protectors of places of the wild, as well as kind of, well, that fey element. Yeah, something different from human. Something a little, in some respects, above it. uh, But in other ways, handicapped by that separation and difference. Uh, Almost, well, what we've come to associate the term fey with is is something uh, above human... Mm-hmm. And different in morality and outlook because of their distance from the human condition. Uh, and that's not just limited to Tolkien's reinterpretation of classical mythos. He was not the first to do that. Uh, Shakespeare, too, with Midsummer Night's Dream, mm-hmm. uh, Oberon and Titania. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wonderful you know, view of an elvish court. Uh, the sort of diffident, amoral elegance with little internecine disputes simmering under the surface. Yes. Uh, Elves are part and parcel of uh, mythology and history. So Yeah, it was good that D&D latched onto them, not just from token, but because they have a lot to offer, both in real history and as well as in literature. But Elves is gaming. Now, that's what we're going to really delve into here. We could spend almost an entire topic talking about the literary antecedents. Of oh, the yeah. Dad, we're, we're just doing the warm-up on, on the literary antecedents because, uh, <laughs> you know, there, there's no point in trying to track down all of them or we'd burn the whole half hour. Yeah, but one of the most common archetypes for the elf is the elf fighter magic user, which is to say also it suffuses the elven mythology of their kinship with magic and how they cast spells and do things differently. Like, for instance, normal magic users... Could not wear armor and cast spells, but here, if you were an elf fighter magic user, well, you could wear armor and cast spells, and as well as enjoy all the benefits of being a fighter with the weapon selections and the bonuses in combat, along with 
all the benefits of being a magic user. Now, of course, you were multi-class and paid the price experience points-wise. True enough. But, since you were a long-lived elf, you could definitely exceed most mortals' expectations of what true power could be. Of course, that didn't come in into a normal dungeon crawl game. You know, if you were an elf, you were an elf, and, you know, you cast, you know, spells and wore armor. So, you were pretty flexible in what you chose to do. I liked that uh, they made magic so much a part of being an elf that the usual rules regarding armor and things like that didn't count. It was sort of holistic. It was a thing mm -hmm. that just flowed naturally from you, as opposed to humans, uh, whose rote memorization of spells, they were basically wrestling a force that was not yeah. innate to them. Uh, whereas elves existed with it as a part of who they were right from the get-go. Uh, very different concept. And kind of fascinating to see that uh, they treated the mythological concept of elves and the association with magic, and they fused that into the creation of the elf class in the earliest editions of the game. Yeah, the And then expanded upon it by the time you got into first edition. Yeah, and... Uh... But, you know, almost all the demi-human races, which we will cover in point, could be thieves as well, and elves could be fighter thieves, they could be thief magic users, a very odd combination at the time. But they were one of the few, besides gnomes, that could enjoy an arcane spellcasting class coupled with... Roguery. Yeah. <clears throat> a little underhandedness. Yeah. Yeah. A sneak and cast. And, you know, there were no, at the time, unique spells for elves or anything like that. It was just kind of like the thing you did. And, you know, if elves had a few spells that were given to them, as the game began to grow through the um, pages of Dragon Magazine came a few elven spells that only elves knew. And later, uh, second edition, the Elfin uh, Complete Book of Elves came up with a uh, different sword magic. And Forgotten Realms also pushed it. But right now we're going to talk about two things that D&D uh, &D did with elves that very few others did. Now... First of all, the we had the as we spoke of the literary antecedents, we had the light and dark court of the fairy that has been brought into uh, play by our, of course, uh, nod to Shakespeare. Yes, and there was a light and dark court, but that also goes back very, very far. Um, Celt and Norris both believe that there were light elves and dark elves. Yeah, but, um, and they were characterized by you know uh, a either benevolent or cruel disposition, one or the other, and that, you know, those of the light court were relatively benevolent and could be dealt with, uh, whereas those of the dark court were absolutely ruthless and could not be trusted. Uh, and that is the original antecedent, the, the primary concept behind light and dark elves, the, the evil elves uh, who you know, literally have gone over to the dark side. and Just cruelty and acquisition are all that matters to them. Yep, and um, in Tolkien, just like with the Bible, if you read the Similarian, yes, there are dark elves. They are very rare, but they are elves who kind of thought that uh, Sauron and Morkoth had the right idea, and uh, they were cast out of normal elven uh, courts uh, and banished to the evil realms and uh, so forth, but Again, not going to deal in that too much, but D&D &D did something different. They made high elves, which were your 
default elves. And then they made gray elves, which were almost beyond them. They were so far removed from normal mortal concerns that they kept to their enclaves and really didn't have much to bother with others. Not xenophobic or hateful, but they were just distant. They were good creatures, and but their concerns were much more esoteric than they were the demands of, well, there's some orcs outside of your forest. They weren't really concerned about that. They were more concerned with much longer and deeper goals like changing the earth or the range, the range in which, you know, evil is on the rise. They were about combating that at the source. Where high elves were more or less your rank and file standard elves that you would find living in light woods or in open areas that were uh, peaceful and pastoral. And then you had your wood elves, which lived in the deepest parts of the woods and were a little bit more aggressive. Ah, uh, that... Very much in the sense of the Grugak. Yeah, and then they went to the, you know, we, in Greyhawk you would have the Grugak and the, uh, oh, the, even Wilder Elves, what was the name of those guys? Uh, hmm. Rogue Reindeer and all that. Oh, geez, I forgot about them. Oh, plus the tiny subset of the Valley Elves. Yep, oh yeah, the Grugak are the ones who were as reindeer, and then there were Valley Elves. She's a Valley Elf. <laughs> Gag me with a spoon. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's classic. probably lost on most people, but yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. Uh, yeah, we're now, dating ourselves. Ni- uh. 19, 1980s uh, California surfer culture gave us the, the you know, Frank Zappa's daughter, Moon Unit. Yeah, uh, and his son, Dweezil. Yeah. Valley but, people, but no, uh, they had done something that had not been done before. It was not merely there are light elves and there are dark elves. We had that historically. Uh, what they did was divide the elves into types uh, based on their worldview and living situations and their abilities. Uh, and this made for a really nice mix. If you wanted to play a very earthy, uh, you know, toe-to-toe sluggin' uh, fighting elf, then you know, you might have a fighter thief who is a wild elf from the forests who what elf? Yeah. pathfinds and, you know, lays waste to orcs at every opportunity and just lurks around, you know, sneaking around that tree with feet like a whisper. Uh, but if you wanted to play that uh, straight-up sorcerer, uh, powerful mage, uh, quiet and wise... Yeah, there were always the Grey Elves. But yep. that division was unique to D&D. That was something that was their contribution to the mythos. And then you had the Drow. A whole separate kettle of fish. Uh, based on the Nordic version of Dark Elves. Um, I, you know, this was one thing that disappointed me. Like, uh, the only really clearly defined matriarchal culture present in the first edition AD&D uh, was unutterably evil and devoted to a powerful spider demon goddess and incredibly cruel. Uh, but they were uniquely powerful as long as they were underground. Not quite so fierce up in the light. Uh, but heaven forbid you got a cave connected to the Underdark. Yeah. Oh. Uh, nighttime excursions by drow were bad news. Uh, in the very first edition, the drow came with a perk that was unique uh, to them, which was the ability to fashion powerful magical weapons, which 
were really only good as long as they were subjected to the radiations from deep beneath the earth on a regular basis. Yep. So they had a short period of time in which to go out and raid, kick butt, take names, and then flee back to their realm. But if you can imagine a bunch of, like, fourth and fifth level Dark Elves, oh, well, we're going to lay waste to them. Except they're packing plus four everything. Yeah. And it was also a cheap way to cheat uh, players out of hard-earned loot. You know, you could yeah. equip a whole bunch of drow with uh, powerful items and only to discover that in a few short weeks on the surface world, they were useless. Yeah, nobody will buy them either because they're like, oh, this is drow make. This thing will be crap in about a week. Yeah. Forget it. I'll give you a half a bent copper. Mm, jerk. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so... So, yeah, that that was a DM screw you uh, moment where you really got to, to rake people over the coals with well-armed, well-equipped opponents and very little in the way of reward beyond cash uh, and maybe a few other stray items that, you know, happened to be on them. But the Dark Elves were an absolute menace uh, and were not really a popular uh, type of elf to play until the advent of R.A. Salvatore's. Well, yeah. There is to do Erden. Uh, Unearthed Arcana would open the door to having Dark Elves as players, and, of course, in the Vault of the Drow itself, it was offered that not all Dark Elves were completely evil. The kind of memeish thought that only, only uh, Drow are the chaotic evil baby-eating murderers is absolutely not true. I mean, there are, by and large... Feckless, very evil, and completely callous of others. So much so that even demons regard them as peers. <laughs> you know, like their level of cruelty and viciousness is second only to theirs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're in a room with a, if you're in a room with a demon from hell and it goes, you know, I I really respect the, your work. It's beautiful. I, I, I watched some of it from afar, and I was really impressed. You should have a life re-examination moment. <laughs> That's a moment to pause and go, oh, man, this is like getting a compliment from Hitler or Stalin. Yeah. I'm not really, I don't feel really good about that compliment. I, I didn't want to be thought of this way. No. But the point he's making is that not all drow are unutterably evil. They're part of a society that's machinations are so consistently cruel and depraved that that's normal for them, but not all of them have a great taste for it. Many of them are just like, you know, I really just wanted to get on with my job here, but, uh, like, they, they keep... I, I have a lot of paperwork piling up. I do not have time to whip victims to death. I, yeah, I got I, things to do, man. Just, you know, can I can, can I at least stay at the, the desk here today? I, I'd like to not take a break and, and go torture people. <laughs> yeah, and so you would have, you know, it was right from the get-go that uh, when the draw were introduced that you were able to see that not everybody in their society believed like they did. And I'll even roll it back a little bit more and say that uh, a lot of the people who say that, uh, well, you know, the drow being uh, dark is kind of a racist thing. I Not so much onto that because the roots of it come from a clearly defined role that not only the light and the dark, but also that in the Norse, the, those elves that were uh, evil were clearly marked by their the blackness that inherited their hearts. Yeah, and this is not melanin. Uh, this yeah. is like the being suffused with evil and being wholly alien, inhuman, non 
completely distant and removed from whatever trace of humanity or mortality. Uh, if you can imagine living like 2,000 years and spending all of it being a total jerk, uh, that uh, symbolically it was much more of a spiritual vileness. Yeah, and uh, I could, I'm sensitive to other people feeling that way, and I'm not going to... Uh, you ain't saying anybody changing it or doing anything different. I mean, do as you want, man. You know, if it, if, if it does offend you, you know, well, by all means, change it. Nothing's graven in stone. I was all, going to say that, like, our standard fallback is that every table uh, and every DM runs their game. Uh, yeah. You know, every man or woman who picks up the dice and, like, sets up the screen, you design your game. And if there is something that you do not like, something that you would like to change... It is 100% within your power to change that, and it needs neither our approval nor... Yeah, they could be completely pale and uh, red-eyed still. Yeah, I do, in the current homebrew I've got, uh, a light and dark court. And there is no distinguishable visible difference between a elf of the light court and an elf of the dark court. The powers they possess change. Uh, but I did that because I wanted something reminiscent of Midsummer's Night Dream, uh, and I'm, you know, really fond of the, yeah. the whole Shakespearean mythos of elves. So uh, I fused that in there, but there is no distinguishable difference in my no. campaign at and, this time. And uh, you know, and much more of the power for that. In and my classic Greyhawk, of course, I always run with uh, the traditional. Uh, dark elves. Yeah. So I I played both sides of the fence at one point or another. Yeah, I I definitely uh, like how Pathfinder handled it. That, that uh, light elves or your normal high and uh, gray elves could become drow if they became evil. Yeah. They became drow and had to flee the sun. And if drow became good, they became normal elves. True. So you know, equally it, fascinating way to handle it. I and, like that. It works both ways, but, you know, no matter how you do it, uh, don't make people feel cringy about clinging to a particular view. If you have to uh, politicize it, you know, maybe you're doing gaming wrong. I personally believe that uh, elves are a fascinating part, and while there are certain parts of gaming that, as we mature, have become a little cringy, there are parts of it, too, that you can understand if you look at it with the... Uh, connotations of the past as well as the myths and legends from which they spring you can come to an understanding with it but never make people feel uh, upset about your interpretation of something you know always be cognizant of your table and people you game with and hey you're winning but back to the elves yeah. one of the big things that we liked uh, initially about elves and drew us to it is their strangeness now they are traditionally friends of humanity the elves in the player's handbook are you know allies and friends of humans. Broadly speaking, they get and along. that leads to the next thing, is when humans like something, they often have relations with it. Ah. And that leads to half-elves, which led to one of my favorite I, I, class combinations. Here are the pitter-patter of little half-elven feet, which is way quieter than the pitter-patter of little human feet. The triple class. Yeah. Which is available only to the half-elf. The fighter, magic user, cleric. Wow. Talk about your experience point drain there. Oh. And... Fighter, magic, user, thief. Welcome to being third level while the rest of the party is eight. Yeah. Uh, uh, still, I mean, you know, you do get the perk of the, being the, you know, Jack or Jane of all trades. It's just 
you know, an awesome bevy of abilities. I've actually got a player doing a Fighter Magic User Thief as a half-elf. And they are rocking the combo. Um, yeah. They are just really owning it and making it work for them. Um, half-elves, you know, it's it's elf light. Uh, <laughs> less filling, same great taste. Yeah, and you don't have all the full-blown colors of the elf. But, uh, you know, that you still have a standard resistance, a much better resistance to charm and sleep spells. But uh, that Which just... is, like, to me, literally the selling point of the primary elf. I, I, Never I, sleep. Remember when uh, elves do not sleep, they wait. Uh. <laughs> um, elves... To me, one of the best parts of playing a traditional first edition elf was the powerful resistance to sleep and charm uh, and the information. I mean, seeing in the dark is great, but being the only member of the party with a great chance of coming through a mind attack and being okay, you know, some attempt to charm or suggest uh, or control the, uh, the party at least the elf is probably safe. And so you've got somebody who's the party's bolt hole. You're like, all right, if everything goes to hell in a handbasket and we all get taken over and we're all like mind slaves, you've got to come and rescue us. That is a great combo to have in your party. It's a whole card, you know, just something that you can hold back as a reserve and uh, count on it when things are at their worst. So I loved that. But the half-elf had a little dash of it as well. Yeah, and, you know, half-elves made... They were the so-called tortured uh, souls between, caught between two worlds, the elven and the human. Never truly a part of either. Yeah. Always looked down on at, by the elves as half-human. As so well spelled out in... Uh, you know, like, I, I know that uh, these are not the greatest literature ever published... But the Dragonlance novels, Tannis Half-Elven was just a yeah. terrific character who was truly stuck between worlds, you know. Uh, someone that didn't, you know, he was a, just a little off, uh, went around humans and still couldn't quite mesh into elven life with the elves. You know, mm -hmm. just stuck with one foot in one world and one foot in the other. Uh, not to mention that whole long life thing, which, you know... Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna. You don't live long enough for the one, and you live too long for the other. Uh, yeah, it is a tortured existence in certain parts, but you can embrace it as well. And I think that that's where a fascinating culture from D and D has emerged into the study of demi humans, and that's why we're doing this a little bit is to talk about it. But another thing that we'd be remiss about talking about elves is not just the play styles of how you would role-play a character, because everybody's going to differ on how that they see elves in their campaign, as well as how they wish to play elves, but also playing elves as a strictly martial race. Now, why do elves get off scot-free on ghoul paralysis? You know, I never really understood that. I always thought it was kind of peripherally related to uh, being old, and ghoul paralysis, I always thought, was inflicted by the fear of death, like the horror of mm -hmm. mortality approaching you, that, that like sense of, like, ah, I'm going to die. Uh, and you're frozen with fright. Whereas elves, on the other hand, is like, 
yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to another thousand years after this, so I'm not really impressed. You just get your grubby paws off me. Yep, you get your corpse picking hands to your, keep them to yourself, you evil cool. But more importantly, I um, heard recently that it was from the war game, a chainmail, that it was actually a game balance. Just like the clerical turning that was eventually put in there because undead were really cheap on the point scale and that the ghoul paralysis was kind of overpowering. So giving elves immunity to the ghoul paralysis kind of leveled the playing field and made them worth their high cost. Ah, all right. Man, that does go back a ways if it goes back to chainmail. Yeah, but but, it's, it's, but I like to see again, now there you go. There's Mike taking a different tack with it and making it work. And that's what we're all about is that, you know, you don't have to know the, where to look at the bones that were boiled to make the soup to get the recipe, okay? That, you know, it, that's how it was done and, you know, that was just a gameplay consideration and it grew into lore. But the lore is fascinating because somebody like Mike just took it right there and he ran with it that scored a touchdown. That's another whole card moment that I'm talking about with uh, an elf in the party. You've got one person that cannot be yep. paralyzed. You've always got a backup. And... Peripheral to that, aging effects. In oh, first yeah. edition, they were just like your lifesaver. Like, you go fight that goat alone? Well, yeah, because like for you, it's a lost weekend. For me, it makes the difference between wearing my tunic and having to go out and buy Depends. You know, uh, just, it's that bad. Uh, you know, you, <laughs> run, you run into a couple of ghosts and, you know, it's like, oh, I'm ready for the retirement home. Yeah. Guess that character goodbye. Fred the fighter is, uh, you know, going back to the old ranch and just putting the sword up on the mantelpiece. I'm done. Yeah. So, yeah, that, you know, the whole approach of how you had elves in the party from gameplay could also be well interpreted through their abilities. But, uh, you know, um, Forgotten Realms probably had my favorite elves, the moon elves, the sun elves, um, the green elves, the wood elves, and uh, also their wild elves. Yeah, I mean, they kept with, you know... The same basic... Mr. Premise. Greenwood uh, did the same breakdown, except that he provided a much more in-depth mythology about their origins and how they came to be, you know, these separate mm -hmm. kinds of elves, uh, which he was particularly good at that. I've, I've always loved the work of Ed Greenwood. Oh, yeah, and then from Ed, and as well as uh, in the world of Very Hawk, when we're talking about the matriarchal societies... One of the few female leaders in the world of Greyhawk was the Queen of the Elven Courts in Selene, Queen Yolanda. Uh, yes. And then uh, Ed Greenwood had many different elven queens and kings. The drow were kind of despised because only women could ascend to that, but that was no, uh, there was no hard and fast rule that the king, elven kings and elven lords were only simply male. There were a lot of female elves there too, but... We only remember the drow being the evil ones because they're so violent and vicious. Yeah, I mean, the, the real reason people fear drow is because, you know, I mean, you see them. It's on. Uh, there is not They want to take you alive. They <laughs> put you to sleep with their poison darts so that they can have fun later. Yeah, that, you, you don't want to wind up a captive in one of those arrangements. That is not a great outcome uh, for any party. Although... Lots of poisoned weapons and all of it uh, paralytic and sleep-based. Great tool for the DM. Yep. Just just throwing it out there. It might might sound a little harsh, but uh, if you've got a you know mid-ranked party that's getting pretty strong, 
uh, a drow encounter can turn really nasty really quick. Uh, have the whole party hauled off to a side cave where, like, they're about to be dragged off, you know, back to the city. Uh, and, you know, then you have your rogue help set up the great escape. Uh, or you have, yep. you know, a sympathetic ear in the drow camp attempt to assist you by slipping you a lockpick when you need it most. And that, There's great room for drama. And that leads right back to the uh, origins that the evil fairies would drag you away. Yeah, I mean, and that is literally classic mythos that, you know, the evil fairies from beneath the earth, you know, capture you and carry you down to a cave and, you know, just your existence will be one of horror and misery. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, it, not cool. No, but, and... Well, like all German fairy tales, there's nothing happens. Happens, you know, nothing happens. There's no happiness in German fairy tales. Even when you win, you lose. Uh. <laughs> just if you read Grimm's fairy tales unexpurgated... Uh, I have a copy. and I'm not I, old enough. So. It is, yeah, I, oh, jeez. Like, you read this to children? What's oh, wrong with you people? But, you know, um, the other part is, is that no better friend, when we talked about the uh, dwarves, no better friend, no worse enemy. Elves often get overlooked and uh, pushed aside as sort of effeminate or weak, and recent uh, additions to... Uh, elves have been that they can are now gender fluid, which I totally am on board with because that represents from the earliest days of Canaan, Corella and Lorethian, their principal deity, who appeared both neither male nor female, or sometimes one or the, or other. the other. Uh, and which Labellus entereth also in the uh, uh, first and yeah, he was completely agendered. Yeah, you you really couldn't tell, uh, you know. There was no means by which to make it obvious. If you were close enough to know for sure... <laughs> well, you're not getting that close to levels. Yeah, you know, the, the, boy, have you got a story to tell. Uh, but it does not diminish the ability to select what your character is going to be. It yeah. just sort of formalized another option that is on the table, which is, uh, you know, uh, Thalatos... Uh, the sorcerer is of whatever indeterminate nature, and you are uncertain. And, you know, that's an option on the table, too. Theoretically, it could play out that way, uh, even in the old editions, if the player wrote that into their backstory and wanted it. Yeah. And now it's just been made a formal part of the game. And uh, that is... But it does not eliminate having fixed uh, gender types... Uh, of your choosing. And I think that's a worthy addition to the lore of elves because it represents from the earliest traditions of the game when we started to venture into what deities do the non-humans worship. Yeah. And which, cleave to, which was me? right off the bat. So good on to them to pick that up. And as well as the fact that elves are primarily the main, most powerful demi-humans outside. And we're not using demi-humans as a way to... Uh, nullify their power, but yeah. as... Remember that Demi does not mean less. In uh, this uh, You know, context. it's very important to mention that, that uh, much like demigods, uh, demigods often, when it's used in terms of deities, refers to a being that is not as powerful as a real god. Uh, but Demi, the term itself, does not mean less than, uh, per se. It does also mean other in this case, and that's yeah. what we're going to, but... The Non-humans uh, include uh, very powerful races that, since the inception of the game, 
certain limits were placed upon them intentionally because of the enormous powers they and possessed. Now they've, um, they can be anything. Elven paladins, elven rangers. Yeah, I, I had a lot of trouble. It was a big stumbling block for me in the, you know, edition wars, uh, Long oh, ago. Veteran of the Edition Wars. Oh. Yeah. Well, Bronze it, Star. When the third edition came out, I was a little dismayed by, like, anything can be anything. And I was also a little bit excited. I remembered wanting to have a half orc who had Paladin Envy and was yeah. just a fighter cleric and was just totally devoted. And I'd, we had a call in that uh, referenced a, a half orc much like that. Yep. Uh, and I, I really wanted to play that. But now. It would be pointless because, well, he could just be a paladin. Uh, you know, he could be an actual paladin. And I I was halfway between, yay, cool, pretty much anything's possible now. Uh, and halfway between, yeah, but, you know, it just seems weird. If you came out of first edition, being a paladin and being anything other than, like, lawful good, human, you know, and that was it. Uh, it seemed weird. It was very unfamiliar and disconcerting, but I got used to it. I got over it. I got used to it. And, uh, since then I've, I've played a lot of oddball stuff that, well, it's possible now. <laughs> yep. Uh, but, um, currently an Azamar cleric, uh, yeah. with a affinity for earth. But, uh, to bring back to the point of the elves is that, the rules have really supported elves in being the primary magic-using creatures. There are very few, even a straight-classed human wizard or sorcerer is still a little bit behind an elf wizard or sorcerer because yeah. of their primal connection to magic. And no better race has ever epitomized magic. And that goes back all the way to the first edition than being fighter magic-users. Yeah, it brings us all the way back around in the beginning with Tolkien, because uh, the elves were from a time before humanity rose, uh, before the human equation was even a part of everything. Yes. Uh, they predate all of it, and their magic predates all of it. They have a closer kinship to the origins of the world uh, than any of the other races. Yeah, only dragons. Uh, have a longer and more illustrious history than they do. Yeah, I mean, you're really down to dragons, elves, and then dwarves. You yeah, know. Abolith. But we don't talk about Abolith. No! Anyway. Yeah, not if we can help it. I'd like to forget them entirely. Yeah, we'll do the, We'll pick those guys back up with our next installment of Monster Races. <laughs> but elves are a worthy addition, and no matter how the rules have changed, play your elves as the lords of the land. They truly are... Masters of their realm and destiny. And although sometimes seem as haughty and distant, there's a reason for that. They are above most small means that bedevil lesser lived races like humanity. They're kind of above it all because they live for so long, many things pale before them. Yeah, the, their definition of a problem uh, is somewhat different because there's a fair chance they can just outlast it. <laughs> Yep, my good old uh, fighter magic user uh, Moondance was uh, a big time open up the curtain for me on to the world that elves inhabit. And I really got to explore a lot through that mindset. Like, yeah, it's not going to bother me a hundred years from now. You guys are all going to be dead. Jeez, that's kind of yeah harsh. You know that. Sorry, guys. <laughs> well, you know, you know, like, let uh, I just passed on the potion of longevity. You know, hey, here he goes. 
Yeah, you guys, I don't you guys gonna need this more than I am. <laughs> Especially, you know, one or two ghost encounters, and bam, you know, we're gonna be drinking those like it's you know, going you know, out of town. Pabst Blue Ribbon. But that'll bring us full circle. Play your elves well, have fun with them, and most of all, remember, you're never doing it wrong. Have fun with it. Yeah, your game, your table, man. You know, that's the the DM's maxim. But embrace the legacy that the elves have brung and also make them a standard part of your game and you won't be disappointed. But with that, we've kind of worn out our welcome as we creep into the 40-minute mark here. Whoa. Well, I was afraid that would happen. I mean, it is elves. They're just... Jeez, you know, it's so much meat on the bone, it's like we cut something off a brontosaurus. Yeah, but, you know, I like having the long expositions of what and why, and we hope that you did too. And if you enjoyed what you heard, please give us that applause button. Just beat the heck out of it. Come on, just, you know, wail on it. Uh, yeah, go after it like a speed bag. And if you didn't like it, well, um... <laughs> We're sorry, but uh, please yeah. let us know what we went wrong, and we'll be more than happy to redress <laughs> it. If you made it this far, <laughs> thank you for putting up with us. Yeah, but uh, we hope your gaming weekend is full of fun, or your week coming up. So we'll see you next Tuesday. But in the meantime, may the dice, dice. always roll, roll in, in your, your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.